Hey, podcast listener. Do you love talking about movies, music, TV, comics, and games? Then you should be listening to The Great Pop Culture Debate, back in bigger than ever for season nine. This season, the panelists discuss the best James Bond film, the best Elton John single, the best Nickelodeon original series, the best Batman villain, and so much more. Find the show wherever you listen to podcasts or head to greatpopculturedebate.com. More than 100 topics are already available. Subscribe today. Welcome to Name Three Songs. I'm Sarah Fagan. I'm Jenna Million. And this is a podcast where we challenge sexism in the music industry and empower fangirls. Because let's be honest, fangirls knew about that band way before you did. And if you stick around long enough, we'll also let you in on some new music the girls are already crazy about. So before you start listening to the episode today, as it was previously recorded, I just wanted to come back and add a disclaimer to preface this discussion because Sarah and I both identify as cisgendered heterosexual women. The majority of the conversation uses male female verbiage as this is how we relate from our personal lived experiences. However, we do want to acknowledge that both abusers and survivors can be of any gender and any sexual orientation. So the conversation that follows focuses primarily on accounts of artists we are already familiar with and mainly uses examples of male on female assault so today we have a lot of shit to go through so we're just gonna be diving right in to this huge old mess sarah would you like to tell everyone what we're talking about today yeah for sure so just a massive spoiler trigger warning we are discussing sexual assault and misconduct within the world of alternative music. So this is something that I have been really passionate about wanting to talk about since we started this podcast. And I think that we're finally actually ready, obviously, to be doing this just as a community. And I feel like we've built up this trust level where we feel comfortable talking about this with you guys and knowing that you guys can all handle what's about to be discussed and know that we're coming from a place of trying to educate um, rather than attack anything. We're going to be handling this as carefully as possible. Yeah, we just think that it's really important because a lot of times these stories get told are circulated online for a week and kind of just get forgotten by everybody who's not a fan. This is like a really important conversation because it keeps happening. It's not like one instance. It's not two instances. It's 10, 20, 30, 40, hundreds of instances of some that haven't even come out yet. And it keeps happening. So we have to keep having this conversation in order to figure out why, why is this still happening and where is the accountability in all of this? Yeah, definitely. And for those of you who follow us on TikTok, you're aware that we've talked about the history of this within rock music in the heyday of rock in the 60s, 70s, and that a lot of the response, especially by people in their 40s and older, is like, the times were different. Like, that's just that was just normal back then. Like, people were getting married at 18. But the age of consent and like the age of being legal has always been at least in America, from that time set, has always been like 16 is the absolute youngest that you can sleep with and you're still not legally allowed to touch somebody under the age of 18. (laughs) So (laughs) there's just a lot going on. Before we talk about some of the rock stars of yore (laughs) that 
set the precedent of these men thinking that this was acceptable within this. We thought that we'd go over a bit of psychology, dissect what's going on there. Shockingly, there wasn't as much information available as to why like brain chemically this all happens it felt a lot more like conjecture so we're gonna have a ton of links on the website if you want to go check any of the facts we're talking about um or read this up yourself yeah so let's just dive right into this so basically from what we all sort of know is that it's common practice for men to seek out younger women and also women tend to seek out older men like most relationships have some sort of age disparity it's usually like two to three years nothing like obviously in Hollywood and that sort of thing there's a lot more couples with like a huger age disparity but like in average everyday people it doesn't tend to go past like six but we're just like aware that when you're in high school or whatever there's always like that one dude with like his fancy car who's trying to like impress some 17 year old so maybe as a little icebreaker dipping our toes into this the other day on tiktok i saw this video of this guy who was like here's what every blink 182 song sounds like and of course like he wrote the song himself so it was very it was like a parody essentially but the lyrics go like we're both in high school even though i'm 23 and then the song just goes on but i was fully expecting him to set it up for like sexual abuse stuff because why else would you say that and so i think that's kind of like leads into this of like it's just like common we're all aware of the big mess that has happened and for some reason in the music industry men in their mid-20s think it's okay to date be attracted to i don't know all this kind of stuff with teenage mess around with teenagers yeah and i mean and the the thing with it is it's like there's always these excuses because of the signs that is available of like oh like girls mature faster than boys like all these things but it still is by law illegal for somebody over the age of 18 to have sexual relations with somebody under the age of 18 and so just the fact that like there is science available to be like oh well girls are so much more mature or whatever the case is there also was some information online about how another way that men try and make this seem okay is that women are at their most fertile from puberty to the age of like 21 and so that's what makes them more desirable but the thing is is that also men are most fertile between those ages and it gets harder for both men and women as they age to conceive children it's so frustrating because i feel like men will find any excuse to be like this is okay because of this random science fact i have but it's like there's so much other factual information and just stuff available to be like you know you probably shouldn't be doing this like yeah i I don't understand so we do have some receipts here there was a guardian article in 2018 that references a peer review from the journal of science advances researchers looked at nearly 200,000 heterosexual users and found that while men's sexual desirability peaks at age 50 some women hit their prime at 18 which Mm, is also it plays into that trope of like the old hag and like women aren't pretty after they're 18 and like all this stuff which is absolute sexist bullshit but also like i can name so many women in hollywood who got so much hotter as they got older and just like not even women in hollywood like women normal women i know who just got kept getting hotter so like i don't get it 
it's frustrating yeah. and unfair. They continue to say a 2010 study by OkCupid found that the median 30 year old man spends just as much time messaging teenage girls as he does women his own age. What? Are you serious? Why? How? Why? How? Well, I mean, you can be 18 and on OkCupid. I suppose so. And so it's just like, I don't know. It's just so, it's so gross and frustrating. And I just don't understand the fixation on it. And I mean, just going back through history, I mean, there were like child brides. There were all these things. Like the age of consent back in like the 1500s was like, if you had your period, you could consent to sex. So this is something that's just changed throughout time of like people realizing like what was and wasn't okay. There's also, we found an article from the American Psychological Association in 2019 mentioned that psychosocial maturity, the ability to exercise self-control, even in the emotional situations, does not become adult-like until later, sometimes in the 20s. So this is saying like teenagers aren't like their brains are not fully developed like we know this we know this in general like your brain is not developed until you're like 25 ish so like teenagers don't have really the capacity to fully understand what's happening especially when they haven't had a lot of their own lived experiences especially when there's this power dynamic of like men taking advantage of they just think like oh this is just how it's supposed to be because they don't have anything else to go off of yeah it's so messy and it's like just because somebody looks like their body looks like an adult doesn't mean that their mind is out of an adult and that's why the child grooming is a felony offense because you're trying to coerce a child into having sexual relations with you and it's just these things of people get so stuck on the age of consent that they don't focus on the bigger meaning of these things and it's like it's just that weird situation where I don't know any people within my age range that don't know a teenager. Meaning most people I know have like a cousin who's a teenager, have like a family friend who has like a teenage child or like has a friend who's a tutor or something like it's not like they don't come in contact with teenagers that they know are not objects that they can desire. And so the fact that there are people in our age group and older who are, are like aware of teenagers that like they know in some sort of personal capacity and still can feel okay with like going on Tinder and setting their settings to like 18 well, to it's 24. Not even, it's not even that. It is like, I mean, a lot of like abuse situations happen when the abuser knows somebody. Yeah. Like it could be like a family friend or something like that or like a coach or whatever it is. And that's, but that's the other thing is it's like a lot of times when the abuse is with somebody you know it's like that means that they know a plethora of teens because if they know you they know your friends they know these like it's just like it just blows my mind that you can like see a group of like 15 year old girls and be like oh that one's so mature meanwhile like the rest of her friends are like not mature enough for you to try and groom and so you like pluck one out of this group and you're like I'm gonna convince her to wait to have sex with me until she turns 18 but like string her along and tell her I love her and that she's my girlfriend and like all this stuff that we're gonna get into because we have so many examples to bring to you today yeah so i want to read this quote this article is called contributions from psychology to effective use in achieving consensual or sexual consent 
and it talks about power dynamics. Even though there might be a yes in a sexual affective relationship, there might not be consent. And that is indeed a course of relationship if that yes has been given in a relationship determined by institutional power or interactive power. And so that comes into play with these musicians taking advantage of their fans or other musicians who happen to be female because there is that like power structure because men have all of the power within the music industry. And there are multiple, we have like multiple quotes from articles that like other people have done who from victims who felt like they couldn't say no to these people because like they were such a big fan and like they were so excited because this was like the first guy that showed interest in them and also it just so happened to be like a guy that they essentially worship and so the power dynamic there is so unhealthy and it's so common because that's the same thing and in a lot of these personal essay articles that we found which is kind of the closest thing we found to anything like repetitive of like why these teenage girls are attracted to the fact that this older man is interested in them is because like they have like a job they have money they have a car they have like cool friends they give off this vibe of like cool and interesting and so for them it's like oh boys don't like me at school because like I'm alternative or whatever but a lot of the alternative aesthetic fits within that like schoolgirl aesthetic that has been sexualized and so a lot of these older men are like oh she's dressed like britney in the hit me baby one more time music video and i can touch her but <laughs> you can't legally but it's like but that's but that's the situation is it's like they they see these girls as sexual objects because of the way that they dress and the style that they do things in and that's all that they see them as whereas these girls are like oh this like older man is interested in me this validates me Yeah, and so one of the examples we found from Grazia, which is a UK publication, is entitled, My Teenage Relationship with an Older Man Still Haunts Me Now. And there's a quote, teenage girls can't look out for abusive situations because they have no idea what they look like. They will often make controlling behavior for romance. It is a lethal combination that has made 16 to 19 year old girls in the group the most at risk for domestic abuse in the UK. So it really is like, as I mentioned earlier, like if this is like the first relationship you're having, even the second relationship you're having, you haven't like lived enough to realize what is actually going on. And there's so many accounts of like these and then like the accounts we're going to get into with the actual bands themselves of young women being like, at the time I didn't know. And later, like I realized that was abuse or that was manipulation, whatever it is. Yeah. And I mean, girls being given to men as an object of affection or as wives have like gone down in history through like French kings, British kings, whomever, because of that view of like, oh, they're like so fertile, whatever the case is. And so this is something throughout history that has occurred. And then it became- And across, yeah, across multiple cultures and and like to this day, child brides are a thing. Yeah, exactly. Like it's still happening. And in some countries, the age of consent is still like 13 because they essentially thrive off of the child bride market. But that's not what this episode is about. But it's just good to be aware that these things are happening. And America always tries to put itself aside and different from every country in the world. But in 1955, the book Lolita came out. And while that book was supposed to be taken from the 
like read as if like you know that you're reading a book from a not trustworthy narrator who's trying to convince you that his actions are acceptable and it seems like nobody ever read the forward of that book based well, on yeah, what happened yeah. For those who are not familiar with Lolita, it's a 1955 novel written by Russian-American novelist Vladimir Nobokov, and it's told from the perspective of a child sex abuser. The foreword of this book is framed by a psychologist who tells you that this book is being told by an abuser who's trying to win you over as the reader. He's trying to win your favor. And so with that in mind, this so the story is like the, this author who's like the unreliable narrator ends up marrying this lady so that he can get close to her 12 year old daughter and so this is where you know the issues come into play and basically from the point this book was released throughout history it has been entirely co-opted i'll say by like white men who entirely just miss the point there's a podcast called Stuff Mom Never Told You, and they have a guest on who has her own podcast called The Lolita Podcast, where she dives stuff. So if you're more interested in finding out about that, I am going to reference that podcast. It will be available in the show notes. And so this is kind of like her argument is that there's a lot of cis white male reviewers who don't understand that this is meant to be a cautionary tale. And instead, they're buying into what the protagonist is telling you and who is basically lying to your face. And so all of these men are like using this as excuse for like oh no this is why it's okay and in this podcast she even goes on to say like a lot of psychology students will read this book as a way to study the language that pedophiles use and the reason for their behavior and so there's the book in 1955 there were several film adaptions one in 1962 that was quite popular by stanley kubrick and she goes on to say like these adaptions they just overlook they just overlook the fact that this was a child sex abuser and it's basically told from the perspective of oh she wanted it oh she was promiscuous all this other type of stuff saying that it was two consenting parties when it absolutely was not there's no way for a 12 year old to consent to something like that because no matter what you think that they know they don't know they don't understand and then that just leads to so many problems throughout life because they don't understand like what love is they don't understand all of these things and it's just so so detrimental and honestly I didn't realize I've never read Lolita my mind frame of it is just like the culture that has come from it but I also thought that it was written in like the 20s based off of like the complete misunderstanding of this book because the 1950s especially like the mid 1950s they weren't that long ago like it's not some like ancient archaic time there was electricity <laughs> like yeah they, our grandparents they, lived through it yeah there's so there's so many people alive today who were alive then who aren't necessarily bad people and so it's just like clearly there was a choice that you could make like it wasn't like everybody was doing this it was still the same sort of choice and the fact that like now in doing research for this I'm aware that this came out in 55 and then the rock group like groupie baby groupie thing was happening about 10 years later it yeah. all makes so much more sense yeah. because all of these men completely missed the point it's like the point was here and they were just like, what? you can't see me. Um, <laughs> just going right around the point. <laughs> yeah. They just like, they were just like, oh, the point, let me, let me just dance around that. Like just completely ignore it. And so 
literally in doing research for this so many things just fell into place in my mind of like understanding the behavior and why people are like it was different times blah blah it's because people's perception is so off and it's so wild (laughs) like yeah just because I think we made this point in our misogyny and songwriting episode but just because it was a different time doesn't mean it was okay yeah like people were just more willing to overlook it then yeah there were still laws there were still things in place and so just to like briefly touch on like that rock era i mean there was the whole like baby groupie thing where lori maddox and sable star were 13 14 years old when they first came on the scene of rock music and they're famous like infamous to this day they're known and it's like iggy pop wrote a literally wrote a song about fucking Sable Star when she was 13 and that nothing could, nothing was going to be done about it because her parents had money. And so that, I guess, because they were like known, they didn't want to deal with it because it would run their name through the mud, I guess, having their child have hooked up with an adult. I don't know. But again, that just shows that it's like women are held to another standard, even when they're not even a woman, when they're like a girl, a child. Yeah. And it's just, it's just horrendous. And it's like, Lori Maddox literally dated Jimmy Page of Led Zeppelin for, from the ages of 14 to 16. And Jimmy Page has said that he's written an autobiography that he will not release until he dies because he is afraid of what's going to happen to him if, when people read it because of the shit that he's done and like there are stories told by multiple sources not just Lori like people who weren't going through the same trauma that Lori was going through who are I I guess more reliable narrators to people of them cooperating that like he asked Lori's mother for permission to date her which like that's fucking weird and he would keep her in green rooms during shows so that the police wouldn't know that he was hooking up with a child because it was still illegal in those times like this wasn't something that was like oh this is fine like it wasn't okay (laughs) ever and they knew it wasn't okay but they were like this is the rock lifestyle I'm just gonna see what I can get away with and a lot of people because we've been posting these tiktoks and people get big mad a lot of these people are saying like oh it was the parents fault no it was not like yes they played a role in this but like an adult man knows what he's doing like he knows he's dating a 14 year old He knows that's not okay. It's not only the parents' fault. Yeah, exactly. And it would be slightly different if he was like 18 and she was 14. Because like, I mean, it's still not excusable. But it would be different than like a 32-year-old being like, I want to date. So Jimmy Page was 28 when he first started dating Lori. And he was with her until he was 30. And he literally had her kidnapped once because he wanted to see her. And he just like, he just had his bodyguard go and grab her from her house. And like kept her in a hotel room for a week because he didn't want anybody to know that she was there. Another argument that we hate to see in the comments is she wanted it. We just said it. She she was too young to know. Like, yeah, she might have been like, this is fun. She was too young to know that wasn't appropriate behavior. Yeah. And it's like just because when these women still talk about these events still to this day and they're like, I don't regret it, whatever. It's like, of course they don't. They had a fun time. I'm not saying that Lori didn't feel loved by Jimmy Page. Sometimes they had a fun time. Other times they realized what happened was really messed up. Yeah. It's just that thing where it's like, 
just because they wanted to be there at that time it's like they don't have the cognitive dissonance to understand what's actually happening and it's like when most of the other groupies are of age and they're doing the same things you're like well this is just what girls do backstage so it's just what you think is happening because that's the environment that you're surrounded by and it's like there's nothing wrong with being a legal aged groupie but like everybody is a little bit at fault here but also the times in a sense were different parents didn't care as much they just were like go out do what you want as long as you're home at like like whatever as long as I know you're alive that's cool and even sometimes parents didn't care and it's like that still happens to this day like people have kids and they don't give a shit about them so it's still the abuser's fault you don't have to take a test to become a parent like people just pop out kids you know like there's nothing you have to do to be able to give birth to your own child and so we need to hold these men accountable and it's the same thing where with steven tyler and julia holcomb like she was 16 years old and julia's mom like julia had a very like a not good home life and so when she was like oh i'm gonna go to boston to live with steven tyler steven tyler then comes to her mom and is like oh i need to enroll her in school can you sign over parental rights to me and she was like oh sure cool and Julia was like my mom's not gonna do that like why would she do that and he was like well I need to be able to travel over state lines with you and the only way to do that is if I have custodial rights over you and she was like she didn't think her mom was gonna say yes and her mom said yes anyway and she did it and so like there I guess is a parent at fault but I guess also that's a parent being like well maybe she'll have a better life so like she also was under the assumption that he was signing her up for school so <laughs> yeah and then he kept telling julia that they were gonna get married they were gonna live like this beautiful life together and so they started to try to have a baby and when julia got pregnant he just left on tour and there's this whole thing of that she was in their apartment and she woke up and the apartment was on fire. There's conspiracies that one of Steven Tyler's friends who saw her that day set the apartment on fire because Steven was trying to have her killed. That's a conspiracy. Nobody, that's not fact. But this is something that people talk about online because once she got out safely and she went to the hospital and the hospital was like, your baby's fine. You, d- you didn't inhale that much smoke. You just need to rest, whatever. Steven was like, well, I don't think the baby can possibly be fine. We need to have this baby aborted. And he essentially was like, I'm her parent, abort the baby. Oh my God, that's so fucked up. Yeah, and so he forced her to have an abortion, which led her to be like a staunch pro-life person, which is like not... Somebody forced you to have an abortion. Don't force other people to not have one. That doesn't make any sense. But she literally had to go and start her whole life over. He just left her and was like, okay. And so she had to go back to her mom and her stepdad in like the middle of nowhere and start all over. And it's just like these men in music will be like, well... I want to use this young broad until I don't need her anymore. Yeah. So I think point being is the examples of men in music abusing their power go back to the heyday of rock and roll. They weren't held accountable. Yeah, they weren't held accountable. And it set precedent for bands years to come of like, and not even that, like, that's like, obviously, like getting deep into the like messed up stuff that happened. But in general, the adoration of young teenage fangirls, like that was more the precedent that was set of like Mick Jagger, like being sexual and like doing whatever he wants and having screaming fangirls run after him and other dudes being like, I want that. That's the power position where it's really easy for men to take advantage of the young girls. 
Well, I mean, even just as an example, like we found a Machine Gun Kelly interview when he just like had first gotten started. And I guess he was like hanging out with Kendall Jenner or something. And Kendall Jenner was like, no, I don't think he was. Okay. So Kendall Jenner was like 17 or 18, I think 17. Mm -hmm. And they were like, oh, like, would you try and date her? And he was like, have you seen her? Of course I would. And he's like, it's not like that would be the first time in Raw. He mistook Jimmy Page for Robert Plant, but he was like, Jimmy Page dated a 14-year-old. Axl Rose, like, dated a 16-year-old. Like, it's just what happens in rock music. And it's like, Colson, Colson. <laughs> that, that ain't it. That ain't, yeah. that's not the take. But that's the thing is, it's like, he said it out loud. And the amount of these artists that probably think the same thing, but don't yeah. say it out loud. Yeah. But he he is now the only man in pop punk dating woman of age. <laughs> Sorry, I gotta I gotta make this light and breezy. Sometimes I don't know how not to. <laughs> so I think that's a perfect segue into the messy world of Warp Tour and pop punk. Oh boy. Oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. So at this point, you guys are very aware that Jenna and I have been mega fans of the pop punk and emo world, the warp tour bubble, as I so lovingly call it, since we were young. It's sort of what raised us in a way, especially me, because I've been listening to this since I was like 10 without knowing what was going on. And the sexual abuse issue within the alternative pop punk emo sort of scene has been prevalent essentially since it started and my first taste of this was Hillary Duff and Joel Madden dating each other because I obviously was a child I was 12 years old when they started dating and I was a huge Hillary Duff fan and I was a freaking huge good Charlotte fan and I just remember being really confused about it but not completely understanding because I didn't really know what age was because I was 12. And when you're yeah. 12, you look at somebody and you're like, are they 86? Are they 22? I don't yeah. know. What they, I don't it's know what the same means. thing. They're all old. Also, just explaining that even more, how the fuck can a 12-year-old consent to sex when they don't know what a 20-year-old looks like? Yeah. Like, hmm. But so Hilary Duff and Joel Madden dated for three years and they started their relationship when Hillary was 16 and Joel was 24. And in a 2015 interview with Cosmo, she said, I had a 26 year old boyfriend, so everyone can make their own assumptions about what I was doing when asked about the virginity situation. So I don't, I don't know, but, but like they had to pretend that they weren't dating for two years. And then after the fact, she was like, oh yeah, we were dating. But she would take him to like premieres and all these things. And they'd just be like, we're just friends. It's no big deal. But they'd be like holding hands and acting like a couple. And just nobody, nobody talked about it. Nobody was like, what's going on here? Until sort of like after the fact, they would insinuate of trying to get her to like admit that they were being sexual with each other. But it was never really acknowledged, which is insane and it's just insane to me that I essentially grew up being like oh this is a this is okay because Hillary Duff's doing it yeah. and so that's the other thing is it's like girls my age growing up being into pop punk being like well my like girl hero and my guy hero dated when I was 12 and they she was quite young and then you go into this and then these men in pop punk continue to perpetuate grooming standards and you're like this is fine and it's just like the amount of things that I look back on that I'm like, holy fuck, if I, if my parents cared any less about me, how much shit that could have happened to me is terrifying to think about just based off of like the relationships I had with bands when I was like 16 years old. Yeah. Like it's, it's terrifying to look back and think about it. 
like <laughs> and that's the thing is like you you a lot of times don't realize it until you're older yeah you have no idea because as as we keep saying it's like this person that you look up to that you're a fan of that you think is like hot shit really cool whatever they're giving you attention in a way that other boys aren't giving you attention and you don't even know I think it's interesting that we keep coming back to like the conversation of like girls are too young to know but like why aren't we talking about like why do these men think it's okay like what in their what in their brain is like yes it is okay for me to date a questionably underage child well that's that's the whole thing that i that i said when we started this it's like there's nothing that i could find in the two weeks of like proper research i was doing into like psychology on this that explained the brain function of as to why men think that this is okay i think it has a lot to do with cultural influences and maybe that's why there's not like a specific like psychological thing it's just like our culture has been like yep it's okay and that's that's it like this is why all this shit is like coming out now and like the me too movement all that stuff because girls have finally like had enough and we're finally standing up for ourselves because nobody else will and nobody else has just like personally thinking about things and thinking about the amount of band guys that got close to me and then stopped talking to me and me being mad about it and now looking back and being like oh that could have got illegal real fast yeah (laughs) i'm like having some revelations here and i don't know how to deal with this right now (laughs) if these women hadn't have come forward in all these we're about to get into it like all these instances men would still be getting away with this because they won't hold each other accountable that's that's what got us here in the first place which is so ridiculous of like finally the people who are the survivors have been able to come forward and feel comfortable sharing their stories this is why this has been perpetuated it's like ugh, it's so disgusting to think that if the survivors had not said anything that this would still be going on unchecked and it is it currently is still going on but like even more so and it's so frustrating because like when most people think about like pop punk stuff it's like warp tour and that's why i say like the warp tour bubble because there's a lot that fits within that of like styles and types of music and it feels more fitting because we're american (laughs) to refer to it as that rather than just calling it alternative because in my mind technically like imagine dragons is alternative and they would never be on warp tour gross (laughs) we're not talking about that band here (laughs) (laughs) um so warp tour is literally a breeding ground of abusers the amount of artists who have gone on warp tour and have been invited back to warp tour how who have perpetuated different levels of abuse towards women of age and underage is atrocious and so just to start this off with a bad taste in your mouth i'm going to give you a quote from kevin lyman the creator of warp tour from an interview with billboard in 2018 about the end of warp tour this interview was done by chris payne who was billboard's staple pop punk man a good man in pop punk (laughs) and he asks what was it like dealing with the issues of sexual harassment on the tour in recent years and I'm just going to say this, please sit sit down before you listen to this quote, because fucking hell. Kevin Lyman goes, well, that sexual harassment didn't happen on Warp Tour. If you go through every one of those stories, it didn't happen on Warp Tour, except for Johnny Craig. And we sent him away. Johnny Craig, like, sexually harassed a merch girl, which is a lesser offense to all of these other offenses. So we don't know why he's like, well, Johnny Craig, we kicked him off. It's like, you have literal pedophiles on your fucking tour, Kevin. 
um, Warped Horror, the thing is, it's funny because the way we used to deal with any problem was if we found out an artist was disrespecting a woman, they were usually brought back behind a tour bus by some people on the tour and given a few options in life. Your life was not being threatened, but you were educated out there. And then he goes, there's artists that come to me and go, you know what? I was young. I didn't know I was offending the women. I didn't know that until one of the bands that I respected growing up pulled me aside and told me this is unacceptable. And then he goes, well, he goes on to talk about some other things that we're going to get into. But just the fact that these guys were like, I needed somebody I looked up to to tell me it was wrong. Well, okay, this is the issue. No, this is the issue is that it's not talked about in like, why are we talking about this in health class and sex ed class? Why are schools like, why isn't this part of our education system? Because clearly it's an issue. Clearly this is like a reoccurring thing of like, I didn't know it was bad bullshit because every female out there knows what you're doing is bad. But number two, it is an issue. Like it, they should be educated from a younger age because since it's this so rampant, like obviously that's what needs to happen. Yeah. So frustrating because as I said at the beginning of this, these allegations will come out. It'll be talked about in the press for maybe a week and then it'll get ignored. And then it'll get ignored after that by people that aren't part of the fan base. And so to explain just how pertinent this is, we're going to go with Emo Kid's favorite recent example, which I don't fucking understand the hype around this man, but Front Porch Step was a emo singer who was sexting underage girls for months. So according to an alternative press article written in 2015, the allegations against Jake from Front Porch Step were sending sexually explicit text messages and nude photographs sent to and received from underage girls. And one accuser who was underage at the time claims that Jake had phone sex with her. So those are the allegations that we're aware of. And so all of this was happening in 2014, 2015. And they started a change.org petition to get Front Porch Step removed from the Warped Horn lineup of summer of 2015. And Kevin... Lyman, our favorite man of the hour, um, his initial response to this was, I am on vacation, and when I get home, the front porch dub allegations will be completely vetted. And then because people kept harassing him, he goes, we'll be back to work earlier than expected to deal with this situation. Except that he didn't deal with it. No, he did not. So Jake's initial response to this was, I'm aware of everything going on right now, and we'll be addressing it soon. I'm so sorry this happened. He later posted a longer update saying, I'm aware of the serious allegations and sensational things being posted on the internet about me and my personal life. While this is personally difficult to experience, I am taking the appropriate, meaningful, and objective steps to address the severity of these things and the horrendous words being used. I would truly hope that others who have or will propagate these serious allegations will do the same. So basically, Kevin Lyman kept him on Warped Tour and... In this Billboard article, he said, I'm not defending Jake, but he went through a lot in his life. Kevin Lyman is also one of the director of Music Airs and said, although he wasn't going to allow Front Porch Step to play on the tour this year, he changed his mind on the condition that Jake would be monitored by professional counselors, three were present, as well as his agent and management team. Lyman asserts that no one was harmed or at risk at the show. And he goes on to say, I have two daughters, 16 and 20 out here. Do you think I would ever put them at risk or ever put them in danger? Oh, and then he says, I couldn't live with myself if I didn't accept someone asking to give them someone a hand up. The easy decision would 
would have been to say, fuck you, Jake, I'm not helping you anymore. I've had 13 death threats so far. It wasn't a rash decision. It was an unpopular one. Okay, there is a difference between like, yes, this man needs help. He needs to see therapy. He needs like a, he needs like clinical help. Okay. But you can help him in that way and also kick him off warp tour because keeping him on warp tour is putting your daughters at risk is putting every single teenager out there in the crowd at danger by having this man on tour. Well, here's the other thing is it's like these allegations started coming to light end of 2014, beginning of 2015. And then in July of 2015, this Billboard article was done, which was a fucking interview with Jake, giving him the opportunity to speak about this. And it was done by a woman named Danielle Bacher. And who the fuck sent a woman to interview this man about assault? That's fucking gross. But also the the big issue here and the issue that Jake keeps acknowledging is like, I'm not a pedophile. And it's like, and this is the problem with psychology is I think that there needs to be some other just as bad a word for people who do these acts on people between the ages of 15 to 17. Yeah. Because these people technically, it's like, technically they're a pedophile, but in their minds, they're like, I didn't do anything as bad as to rape an eight-year-old. And so therefore it's not as bad of an offense. But Jake in this interview goes, I'm being accused of things much, much worse than what actually went on. And then he admits to them in this interview He's accompanied by his publicist and his manager, and he confirms to Billboard that he engaged in lewd text conversations with 16 and 17-year-olds. He also admits that he exchanged nude photos with women under 18. And then it goes, under federal child pornography law, possession or coercion of images depicting sexually explicit conduct by minors is prohibited. And then it goes on to say, he vehemently denies ever having sex with anyone under 18, and none of the accusers dispute that. And then he goes, I was definitely a womanizer. I'm horribly sorry if I hurt anyone, but I never intended to. I just want to say on paper, I'm not a pedophile. I'm not a rapist. I'm not a monster. You are a pedophile, Jake. And you are a monster. Like. And why wasn't he taken to court? Like, this is the thing. There's zero accountability for these men. Why wasn't he taken to court? Like, we don't have an answer for that. And these these girls, they're like, he was calling these 16-year-olds his girlfriend. They were sending compromising photos of themselves in their underwear. And this one girl states that he was very controlling and would send dirty messages to me a lot. She provided screenshots of text that she never posted online to Billboard to illustrate the explicity. And it goes, one said, baby, shut the fuck up and come ride me. Another was, I just want to bend you over and destroy you. Ugh, send pics, baby. And then she goes, he sent me two photos of his penis. He would tell me he would ejaculate to pictures of me. He would also call me masturbating. Disgusting. He's admitted that he did this. And then he was like, I'm sorry if I hurt anyone. You did. And they still let him on Warp Tour. And this is a thing. Is and it's he's still like, making music to this day. It was one date of Warp Tour. Rehabilitation or whatever nonsense you want to fucking claim, Kevin Lyman. But like, it, it's not like, that's not, send him to fucking rehab. Like, do not put him in a place where he has access to these girls and has access to a fan base. Because in 2020, this fucking asshole release new music <laughs> who is allowing this to happen like he found jesus and now thinks it's okay and i uh, I'm, just, I'm so mad so in 2017 this this cunt <laughs> tried to release new music and was like i'm just i'm just gonna come out here and try and do this again and that did not work but as i said he 
tried to release he released a song in 2020 and a plethora of the comments are we're so happy you're back i hope i can see you live someday like all of this um, nonsense there's so many other good musicians out there who are not abusers who are not pedophiles that you can choose to listen to instead of this man he wrote a whole twitter thread and i'm just gonna read two parts of this because and this is a thing that's frustrating is it's like there's nothing wrong with being religious or finding god or finding a purpose because of your religion but to use your religion as a scapegoat for a way of being like i'm going to be burnt in hell for what i did and like insinuate that like you found religion as a way to like deal with the fact that that you were a sexual abuser i just feel like that's not what religion is for like as and also that doesn't just because you are religious now doesn't mean that you actually sought the help that you need through rehabilitation he's saying that he essentially was absolved of his sins is what i'm getting as this because he's saying if christ did not save him then he will in fact burn in hell and so he goes i'm a pitiful excuse of a man and of all the things that i've done or things you think i've done i've done infinitely more to the very christ who chose to save me and he is more than willing to save you if you repent of your sins and believe in the saving work of christ i don't understand like it's just so frustrating when these people do horrible things and are like i've repented for my sins i know that i'm a vile human being it's just really disheartening and frustrating that just because he believes that he's repented like these girls who he who were who survived his abuse still have to wake up every day having known in their minds that their first interaction of affection or what they thought was affection from a man was a predator and being given a platform still when like these accusations are well known like how dare you like just go live your life if you want to live your life for christ do that but you don't need to release music and continue to like trigger people who you abused and you don't need to support somebody like that either. Exactly. So there are other instances within the the Warp Tour bubble that are just as atrocious. But for comparison, I do want to bring up the Power Bottom situation because this happened in 2017 and billboard has like a pretty solid timeline of like what exactly went down but if you're not familiar like power bottom was a non-binary duo so they were pretty big advocates within like the lgbt community they had a huge following within that community they were about to release their second album they're getting a lot of praise from different publications and a lot of allegations start coming out against one of the members Comments on Reddit threads and Twitter raise allegations that Hopkins is a quote, known sexual predator, perpetrator of multiple assaults, etc. End quote. And the threads appear to stem from a post on a private DIY Chicago Facebook page by a user who claims to have seen Hopkins make sexual advances towards several people without their consent and heard accounts of Hopkins allegedly bullying other queer artists and making advances on minors. So this all happened so quickly but after this came out because they had a tour booked this happened two days before their album dropped and so quickly they were dropped by management they were dropped by the label the tour was canceled all the promoters started canceling the dates this happened so quickly people just said no we're not taking this and i think this is a testament to like the queer community of absolutely no bullshit. We're not even giving them an ounce of like benefit of the doubt because you know what? For them to stand up for the queer community and then 
be an abuser, be a perpetrator and harasser, absolutely not going to cut it. And I think comparing this to the front porch step example, it's like there are so many white cisgendered men that are willing to give passes of like, mm-hmm. oh, it wasn't that bad. Oh, it was just alleged. Oh, this didn't happen on Warp Tour. So it's fine for him to continue playing Warp Tour. There's so many white men willing to pardon white men who are abusers. When the queer community was like, absolutely not. We are not standing for this. This is not who we are. Get the fuck out of here. Don't want to. And, and going on to say, they have been essentially silenced. Like they tried to set up like an email address for like people to email about their stories and like a mediator, quote unquote, was going to like figure this out. Like, no, absolutely not. That did not stand up either. They so quickly were silenced. And to this day, like, we don't know where they are. We don't know what they're doing. So huge, huge contrast from what happened with Front Porch Step. Yeah, I mean, the disparities are are wild because, I mean, there's countless bands on the Warped Tour scene that have done literal abuse. So Jesse Lacey, who is the front man of Brand New, in 2017, allegations came to light from two women in particular. They accused Jesse Lacey of sexual abuse and soliciting explicit photographs from minors because they were both 15 when they met him. And it's just horrifying because this band has been relevant and like a mainstay of emo music since the early 2000s. And his first alleged offense was in 2003 with a 15-year-old photographer who he gave his email address to to get photos from. And then he allegedly started sending her nude photos of himself over instant messenger. And she goes, you're flattered because the singer of one of your favorite bands is interested in you and nobody's taken interest in you before. I didn't really see it for what it was because when you're a teenager, you think I know everything, I'm an adult. And she said that she was in contact with him from the age of 15 until she was 22 or 23. And she alleges that he would masturbate while on Skype with her. And she goes, I know I should have turned it off, but there's something in me that couldn't. This will definitely stay with me for the rest of my life. And another teenage concert photographer all met. No, so this was in 2002. So that prior to the other girl, the same situation allegedly happened to her. And Jesse Lacey's response to these allegations was to release an apology statement stating, I was selfish, narcissistic, and insensitive in my past, and there are a number of people who have had to shoulder the burden of my failures. I apologize for the hurt I've caused and hope to be able to take the correct actions to earn forgiveness and trust. I'm sorry for how I've hurt people, mistreated them, lied, and cheated. I'm sorry for ignoring the way in which my position, status, and power as a member of a band affected the way people viewed me or their approach to their interactions with me. And I'm sorry for how I have not afforded women the respect, support, or honesty that they deserved. I mean, he acknowledges his power status. So that's one thing that a lot of people just don't even, that they just overlook. Yeah, it's so much more than other people have done. And I mean, it's just insane because I mean, the list goes on and on and we would be here for hours if we told every single story. But I mean, there's bands like Set It Off who have had multiple members who have committed abuse against women and teenagers. And it's like, if that continues to happen in a band, you think you should just maybe not have that band exist anymore? Because obviously there's something growing going on there. I mean, the same thing happened to With Confidence where the bassist Luke got kicked out of the band for having relations with a minor and then it came out that the singer was also uh, soliciting photos from minors on facebook mainly feet pics i don't know what's going on there (laughs) but so it's like these behaviors 
fester within bands and that's the other thing it's like how do we hold these artists more accountable when there's no way that all the other band members didn't know and like we're just fine with them being like oh we kicked him out we've handled this and it's like yeah no we need to have like a roundtable conversation of you guys understanding that he was perpetuating abuse on underage and of age people right under your noses and how did that happen why did that happen like we need to have these conversations out in the open more often to be more aware and more understanding of what these girls are going through yeah and the whole thing with like cancel culture and like power bottom disappearing it's like we don't know what happened to them we don't know if they're seeking treatment if like they're actually learning from their mistakes or they just like disappeared and like are continuing to do this like we don't know there's no there's zero accountability well it's the same thing with the swimmer situation with lydia knight okay so what happened with swimmers was this was like i think june july of 2020 this was when burger records all the allegations were coming out about burger records they were compiled on an instagram page called lured by burger records which was launched in the hopes of quote amplifying voices and supporting those who were victims of sexual predation and predators involved with burger records and there were numerous posts recounting instances in which young underage girls were invited into the back room of burger records physical store in Fullerton, California, only to be preyed upon by older men in association with the label. And there was lots of other instances with multiple bands within the thing, Burger Records at a festival, like touring, like there was lots of stuff going on. And Swimmers was one of the groups associated with this. And so Swimmers came out with a statement being like, we don't support this. Like we stand in support of feminism and all of the survivors. And like, we would never stand for this. And Lydia Knight was like, oh, really? Oh, really? Because I have some receipts that I need to share. And she so graciously came forward with her personal story. And basically, she was in a relationship with Joey Armstrong, the drummer of Swimmers, from the ages of 16 to 18, while he was 22. In her IG post, she said, For so long, I viewed it just as being toxic and not something valid enough to share. But I know that what I actually experienced was emotional abuse and sexual coercion by someone in a position of power over me, which is such a huge thing for her to recognize and this is the thing we keep saying in this episode is it's like you don't always know that it's happening at the time because you're too young to realize it so even even at this time which was quite a while ago swimmers was still very vocal feminist at the time and armstrong asked her to keep the relationship hidden even though the bands and like their managers knew about it but like she didn't tell her best friend she didn't tell her parents she didn't even tell her therapist so this was like very private and he created these like rules that would and she said would consistently remind me of his position of power he was essentially my boss and had nothing to do with my feelings or what i was ready for every time we took a tip step sexually is because he wanted to and made it clear because he wanted to and even overlooking times when she said she was uncomfortable and didn't give her consent and he would just gaslight her and so basically this all kind of led up to her turning 18 and before she was 18 he was like oh it's fine for us to have sex now and she was like what the fuck like he so he was kind of like once we're 18 like once you're 18 like we can have sex once you're 18 we can like be a public thing so he was always like dangling that over her head and he would just like change the rules and she realized it was all bullshit and so they broke up but they had a tour scheduled already to go to europe with them and she didn't want to like back out on their commitment to do this tour so 
then she says when they did do the tour i felt like swimmers and their team were doing anything they could to exert power and punish me from the beginning he would constantly make jokes about how we would have to follow his rules on tour because he was the headliner the professional power dynamic has made its way into all aspects of our relationship so big messy it's so messed up because this so clearly shows the exact power dynamic that is like quote unquote less obvious when it is like a fan band person because it's like well he's not your like he's literally her like her boss and he's using it against her but the other thing that's just really disappointing is it's like his dad is billy joe armstrong of green day who is supposed to be a staunch feminist and like a punk and the fact that his son is the one who did this and also the fact that billy joe never said anything about it doesn't sit right with me i mean it's unclear whether his dad knew what was going on but the other members of the band definitely did yeah um and i have his like response statement in which he said while i don't agree with some of the things she said about me it's important that she be allowed to say them and that she be supportive for speaking out i respect her immensely and fully accept that i failed her as a partner this is oh you failed her as a partner but you didn't coerce her into doing things she didn't want to do while she was underage and he goes on to say i was selfish and i didn't treat her the way she deserves to have been treated both during our relationship and the two years since we broke up so he's saying he's like yeah i was kind of shitty but i I didn't do anything bad um no and then he basically apologized privately to her and he's like i hope she can forgive me if and when she's ready to do so but this essentially canceled swimmers like because literally just days before they had made a statement being like we support survivors we don't stand for what's happening at burger records and the fans were like no 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 not happening there's just like so many things that have gone on and it's so upsetting and i wish that we could cover every single one of them but it's impossible because there's so fucking many the thing that's so upsetting about swimmers is like how could the band like be so vocal about supporting survivors and promoting feminism and a lot of their fans say that their shows felt like a safe space for them and a lot Mm -hmm. of their fans were like young girls and women and then for somebody within the band to be doing this and for them to know it was going on the thing was like nobody thought that what he was doing was that bad which is like the messed up thing like he was controlling her and he was in a position of power to be controlling her nobody stopped to think that was messed up like even though like technically like he didn't do anything illegal i don't i don't know this is the thing it's like even when there's receipts even with jake when there's actual photos of like him do like sexting underage girls what happens like literally what what's gonna happen but and like and that's that's the thing is it's like and it shows even more how not mature these people are is it's like how can you feel comfortable with your band being with somebody underage being like this is fine whatever and then still go out and be like we're feminists I feel like if you have to like question whether or not it's legal and you have to say we'll wait until you're 18 just don't do it like just it's a no just don't don't even touch it it's just ridiculous and i mean and there are instances that have come to a head like with borns who technically didn't do anything illegal although there was a lot of grooming involved which is questionably illegal we're still like not entirely i'm still at least not entirely sure where is the line with grooming when it becomes illegal because he was grooming underage girls but he never had sex with underage girls but he the second day would turn 18 would invite them to a hotel 
and engage in sexual in- intercourse with them. Yeah. So it's allegedly disgusting. But the thing with Borns is like, and that also immediately canceled him from the spot. He was like booked to play like ACL festival. I remember and ACL festival dropped him from playing the festival. This was literally like right before it too. It came out in like September. I think festival's October. I want to say that was the timeline and he hasn't been seen like and he he gave a very half-assed apology being like all of my relationships were consensual i don't understand why they're saying this stuff like that and hasn't been heard from since but i think that he is still working behind the scenes which is questionable because like in a corporate environment if there's something like this that happens hr is gonna dismiss that like they're gonna be fired like they're gonna leave like hr is gonna handle this and this is our goes back to our point there's no hr in the music industry holding these people accountable and the other thing with that is it's like okay so a lot of songs are written by more than one person and so let's say borns is assigned to i mean nobody's ever gonna be assigned to write a song for julia michaels but let's say that happened and julia michaels shows up to a writing session and it's her and borns and like how like how dare you put a known abuser in a room with a girl and have to have her work with him without her consent or god forbid like he's put in a room with like an underage artist and two other writers and one of the writers is a woman who in her own life has been a victim and she's aware of what Borns has done and it's like you just expect them to work together when like it's been out there that he did something that like while technically not illegal it's still not okay and it's like how dare you force survivors of sexual assault and sexual abuse and grooming to work with an abuser like it's just so fucked up in so many ways of like how much men go to bat for other men and are just fine with it because they're like well he didn't rape anyone it's like there are still people now who have to refer themselves as sexual abuse survivors because of him so yeah to your point like the lengths that men will go to like excuse other men because they're like well they didn't actually do anything illegal it's just quite ridiculous and i think like we also have to mention the laney example because this was so recent and like there's kind of two instances one was like one of their touring crew members actually did some like pretty gross stuff and he got kicked i think he got kicked off tour but like there were stuff about paul being like manipulative emotionally abusive always kind of like tending to hang around like younger girls although nothing was underage and that's a thing where it's like again not illegal but just like mean and bad and just in general not good not somebody you would want to be associated with and i think his behavior is like kind of leads into like seeing other people act this way and thinking it's okay and thinking because he's in this position of power he can like do what he wants and it's it's not okay but also like where is the line for fans and not just fans of laney but like people in general when there are like questionable things like this where's the line between like this person needs help this person should not be on warp tour and like this person is outright canceled i guess and i feel like also with these people it's like especially with like the power bottom thing where they just like fell off the face of the earth like we don't know what they're doing like there should be some sort of accountability if these people aren't taken to court and i don't know how we even do that and When we were doing research for this, we were like, has anybody been held accountable? And I was like, oh, there was that YouTube pop punk guy, Austin Jones, and he's the only person that I personally, well, 
Ian Watkins from Lost Profits, but um, Austin Jones is the only person that I could think of. And most of the things that we found, nobody has fully really been held accountable, but Austin Jones is in prison. So I'm just going to give you some information on this guy just so you know that sometimes, sometimes the uh, survivors win. So Austin Jones was a like a pop punk YouTuber. He would sing covers. I think he also would do normal, like have his own music. Um, but he was arrested in 2017 and pleaded guilty for child pornography charges. He pled guilty to coercing six underage female fans to send him sexually explicit videos and attempting to do the same with as many as 30 other victims. So the court documents outline that Jones had online conversations with six 14 and 15 year old girls over Facebook Messenger and chat and Snapchat, asking them to send sexually explicit videos of them, including dozens of images of them performing graphic sexual acts. Um, He would ask them to twerk and he would give them specific instructions on how he wanted them to twerk so that he could see their ass properly. So he finally went to jail in November of 2020 and he's going to be there until 2027. But the thing is, okay, so I don't know how this works. Like even if he's in prison, like he still needs to work through this like psychologically. Like he needs professional help. That's the issue in America is they just send you to prison. They should send you to a rehabilitation center. Yeah. Like, so I don't know, like, I don't know. Is he getting services in prison? I don't, I don't know. Okay, so he was incarcerated on November 24th, 2020, and he's at a low security federal prison in Pennsylvania, and he's scheduled to be released on December 31st, 2027. So he's just in a federal correctional institution. So it's not like a rehabilitation center. So I don't even know if he's getting help. So, I mean, like, because this issue is so rampant and not just, obviously, not just the music industry, there really has to be, like, clinical help and, like, also education early, early on, early, because men are not holding each other accountable if they think they can get away with it, clearly, clearly, because that's what the situation has been up until this point. And so, like, as messed up as it is to be like, hey, hey, men, don't rape don't sexually abuse people don't solicit pics from a minor like that's what we have to fucking do because if we don't tell them that this is what happens when they're left to their own freedom the discourse always is is like how can women make themselves safer from being raped instead of like how can men not be not brave (laughs) like it we have so much we have so much on our shoulders already as women and the fact that it's also our job to make sure that we don't get raped or abused when like we're taught that it's normal for older men to be interested in younger women and like we're not taught about these things like there's no way to keep yourself safe when you don't actually know what the signs are until you're in your mid-20s to the point of today in this moment in recording this podcast I realized I was probably being groomed like what the fuck (laughs) yeah and I think you know when we have conversations like this we are speaking about the patriarchy and the system that upholds these people in power that allow this stuff to happen. And so it's really easy for like some men to come in the conversation and be like, not all men. So I actually stumbled upon kind of like a essay type thing on Medium from 2014 by somebody named Brenda Wambui. 
And I thought that her words were very like poignant and like well put. And part of this is like most women end up assuming the worst because most times they have assumed the best and have ended up with painful consequences. And so situations like everything we've just discussed today is kind of like why women have to be so cautious when they're dating. Like literally when you're going on a, a date from a dating app and you don't actually know the person, like maybe don't go home with them the first time because they could be a serial killer. Like it's so ridiculous that we have to be this careful about stuff and when they're like not all men it's like yeah but like there's so many horror stories out there that we can't trust that you're a good guy until like you've proven it 61 percent of women who have been murdered have been murdered by a man that they thought loved them that's fucking horrifying like nope. i don't know if i can ever trust anyone again <laughs> period like i like 61 percent yep so also this author went on to say like when you interrupt a discussion about misogyny or rape or sexism, whatever it be, let us know that you are not like these men. You silence the woman and men having these discussions and derail the conversations from its initial purpose to eliminate the plight of women to dealing with you and your feelings. You completely ignore how you benefit from our patriarchal society and shake off any responsibility in propagating its existence. This is a douche move and you are like these men. So like saying like, oh, I'm not like that. It's like you are still, this is a definition of privilege. You're born into this position of power automatically by being born as a man. Mm -hmm. And of course, white men have an even bigger position of power that they're born into. And so you automatically don't have to worry about getting drugged when you go on dates. You don't have to worry about what's going to happen when you agree to go home with somebody and they pressure you into sex. Like, of course, this happens on both sides, but it's like we're largely talking about the system that that allows men to continue doing this. Yeah. And I think that it's important to acknowledge that in talking about this, it's like, we are aware that there are bands that haven't done things. We're aware that there are bands like Don Broco who had allegations against them that were not true and they handled it very well, but that still could have completely tarnished their name. And so it's like allegations are taken seriously and should be taken seriously, especially in instances when you're dealing with an unreliable narrator. But just because there are allegations that aren't true doesn't mean that the ones that are true hold are any, any less. less valid. Yeah. yeah. And so when guys are like, oh, well, my band doesn't do this. It's like your response to this should not be my band doesn't do this. I don't do this. I would never do that. The response should be, oh, shit, other bands in my community, other artists in my community are perpetuating these acts of abuse. How do we help? How do we make women feel safer? How do we make non-binary people feel safer? How do we make everyone feel safer? Because And how do we continue to check each other within our band? Because swimmers so-and-so like supposedly was making people feel safer and they had somebody within their ranks who was doing yeah. awful things it's like you can never put your blinders on if you want to be forward thinking and a safe space for people you cannot be like oh well she wants to date him it doesn't matter because her brain's not fully formed like it does it just doesn't matter like you cannot put blinders onto those situations you need to call them out as quickly as they happen you need to acknowledge them they need to be discussed and I feel like there needs to be something in place where these conversations happen whether that's once a year twice a year all I mean like there need to be like panels discussions yeah. there should be things in place like to... practically like training before tour that, it's just yeah. like when you when you join a new job and there's like every every so often like your company does the sexual harassment training like 
that shit needs to happen every time there's a tour but i mean like there are outlets like rolling stone ap they have the ability to set up a panel of psychologists of assault survivors of these people to have open conversations in a public way with somebody backing them who is viewed as like high up in the industry giving them a platform to talk about this and be like this is how this doesn't happen this is how we stop this from happening yeah like because there are organizations out there available for assault survivors but there's nothing, and the same thing we said in our conversation with Miyoko, there is nothing really specifically focused on music. And there needs to be something specifically focused on music because what's going on within the world of alternative music is deplorable. <laughs> and like, it's horrifying because you have no idea who you can trust. You don't know what's a safe place and what isn't because yeah. so many safe places wind up being not actually not- safe. I think panels backed, sponsored by big publications is like a good place to start. But at the same time, it's so easy for like those to be happening and for people to still not pay attention to it. This is what we were saying with Miyoko is it's like, it's like the industry is so vast and so wide that there's no way you could like really hold every single person in the industry accountable, but it has to start with the people in power. It has to start with record labels, management, PR, whatever it is, like them taking the lead and like calling this stuff out. But like educating and maybe holding those sexual harassment like seminars and making all of their employees and artists attend those and doing those biannually every year multiple Mm -hmm. times a year i mean that's what it's gonna take like that's what we have to do because clearly no progress is really being made yeah and it's like if you're at a normal company and somebody comes forward with like an allegation of sexual harassment, assault, what have you, they bring in people to talk about that. It's not that hard if you get signed to a label for the label to implement implement the same thing. It's so much easier to implement sexual harassment training than it would be to make sure that every person on a tour has accessibility to therapists. Like the second you're signed to a label, there should be something where it's, or like the second you get a tour, it's like that date in New York, that date in LA, you have to come in and you have to talk with a therapist and like these sort of people to like learn what not to do. And the, the funny thing is, as we were just talking about like big corporations and like HR and sexual harassment, I was just thinking there's a lot of stuff that is considered sexual harassment in the corporate world that happens all the time in the music industry. And it just like would not fly in the corporate world. And that's because the music industry is like a totally different beast by itself. But that's another conversation. Yeah. So I feel like we've touched on as much as we possibly can today. So we know that that was heavy and it was a lot. But as we said a bazillion times in that conversation, it's a very important conversation to have and needs to be had in the forefront more often. And hopefully there'll be some things put in place and hey if you're listening and you want some help we're more than willing to to help and we know people who'd be more than willing to help as well to help implement these things we wanted to give a voice to fans who have had to deal with the burden of an artist that they look up to and admire being outed as a sexual abuser so next week we're going to be narrating those stories and telling some more information about other artists that have perpetuated these things as we said we're just trying to take this as seriously as possible because we think it's a very important topic to talk about and i think it's important to give 
I mean, Sarah always says this is important to give a voice to the fans, but especially in this scenario, like fans who have been firsthand, like fan of a band that was outed. Like what, what is that experience like for you guys? How do you deal with those emotions? Cause this is the other side of it that we haven't even talked about. It's like, we talk about survivors. We talk about the people who are the abusers, but the fans are part of this too. The fans are like part of the people who were trusting in these idols. And when it comes out, it's, it's heartbreaking. And so I think it is really important to share y'all's stories on this too. Yeah. So yeah, so as usual, if you have any thoughts, I know that this was really hard. I've literally felt close to tears of multiple times just talking about this. We're here for you. As always, you can come chat with us on Twitter, Instagram, what have you at name three songs or personally at Sarah underscore Fagan and at Jenna underscore million. So we hope you learned something from this episode, enjoyed hearing us get big mad what have you um yeah so thanks for tuning in to name three songs until next time never let anyone make you feel bad about your favorite band and remember you're never too cool to listen to harry styles don't forget to subscribe to be notified when each episode comes out and leave us a five-star review they really help if you want to find out more about any of the sources we referenced in this episode you can visit name three